Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in. Today I'm talking with Elise Wiggins, owner, executive chef of Catavella in Denver, Colorado. Now Elise grew up in the South, in West Monroe, Louisiana. She was hunting squirrels, gigging frogs. Tell me what that is. City boy from California does not know what <laughs> gigging a frog is. Educate. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me uh, on the show, Jensen. Um, so gigging is where you have a long cane pole, and it can be anywhere between eight and say twelve feet long, and at the very skinny tip of that cane pole you tie what's called a trident and it's literally just a um three skinny little skewers um that looks like just kind of a skinny fork and it's tied to the end and when you go gigging you know you go at night and the frogs are on the lily pad and you'll flash a high beam on them and the 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 beam kind of locks them in into a trance and so you, you can't get too close to them. And that's why the pole is so long because it's pretty difficult to, to grab them. Um, but I do do that anyway. Um, and then you throw the, the gig and you get them. Um, and then you pull the gig into the boat and you've got a frog. So that's gigging. I love it. And then you got some frog legs. I dig it. Yes. So your family just food was embedded into you at such a young age. It was great uh-huh. reading about that. I want to talk about gumbo. Now we've talked about gumbo a couple times already. Christopher Bennett talked about cooking gumbo with his dad and winning an award at like 15 in a cooking competition with gumbo. And I talked to Matthew Rayford, who's really, really big on the heritage and culture and history of Southern cuisine. So I'm fascinated mm-hmm. with the region, the food yeah. and gumbo. Tell me what gumbo represents to you through the lens of how it's so intertwined with your family. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, one, we serve it at Christmas. So we have, you know, fried turkey for Thanksgiving, and then we do gumbo every Christmas. And uh, it's a seafood gumbo. So, you know, often a lot of the really good seafood is is in the wintertime, cold water. Um, so we put, you know, crab and shrimp and um, all kinds of uh, seafood um, goodies in there and oysters, you name it. Um, and then we do our gumbo, of course, with a, a nice dark roux that takes a long time, you know, a good roux, you can't rush it. Um, and so it almost gets to the, the color of coffee um, and like black coffee at that. Um, and then um, we use the okra to thicken it. Uh, we're not the ilk of putting the, the gumbo filet in there. However, gumbo filet for us is on the table. Um, it's more of a flavor, not a thickener for us. And so we sprinkle a little filet um, over on the top afterwards for flavor. Okay. I, I asked Christopher specifically about that because a lot of times there could potentially be three different schools of thought. Mm. It's roux oh, yeah. only, it's it's the mm-hmm. filet that's sassafras powder mm-hmm. only, or it's, uh, it's the uh, okra as the mm-hmm. three different thickening 
method. So I, I'm very interested in that just because there's kind of something deep rooted in that where this is this is how we do it in, in our yeah. family. So I love yeah. hearing that. Now, staying yeah. on the food train, we love to hear just a little bit about what's in people's fridges and their pantries. I feel like I learned so much about somebody just by knowing what they eat in the comforts of their own home. So you have mm -hmm. sriracha, Tabasco, <laughs> love. I co-sign with all hot sauces. Yeah. Great. And then Prosecco and 291 rye whiskey. Also, mm -hmm. you and I can hang out. Absolutely. I am a big <laughs> fan of bubbles. I'll give a shout out to John Greshler, who was the opening GM with us at Tag Restaurant, who yeah. got me into bubbles. I thought I was too manly to drink bubbles. Yeah. And now I'm like, Ugh. the more bubbles, the more pink they are even, the better Ugh. for me. So I'm yeah. all about it. And then yeah. sitting down with a, a neat whiskey with just a couple drops of water. I mean, oh, yeah. a few things better than that. Oh, yeah. And, and John's a wizard. So you, you got a good introduction to it. I, I was indoctrinated and I am so happy for it. So now clearly food important to you. And you're in mm -hmm. Colorado. You are not a fan, though, of Rocky Mountain oysters. Talk to us about that. Oh, is that, is that sacrilegious here Man, in I, Colorado? I mean, I, you know, I guess so, especially from where I come from. You know, there's a saying that we have in Louisiana, if it moves, we eat it. And literally, I have eaten almost anything on this planet. But And I have tried. I have tried Rocky Mountain oysters several times. And each time, I just can't. There's a taste about it that I just can't get over. I, you know, I, I, I try, you know, and even if it's like I try different people, it's, they're prepared in a different way. And each time I, it's the same taste. And I'm like, nope, can't do it. <laughs> I, I am with you. Yeah, I, uh, I was I was poking and prodding fun at you, but I'm with you 100 percent because they taste it tastes like I have a mouthful of old pennies. That's what it tastes like to me. And something like that. I, I, I like the gaminess and texture isn't something that bothers me, but I love what you said about trying everything. I have several ingredients, including like honey. I'm not really in honey and I keep trying it, trying it, trying it because yeah. I, I want to like it. I yeah. love everything that it's about. And that's part of it is understand what we like and don't like separating ourselves from that yeah. and being able to still cook sometimes with ingredients that we don't appreciate, but being able to always try it. I don't drink coffee either but I will come ah. all the time and just yep. one of these times something will break through. Oh, well, I keep trying. We'll see. I'm thinking that it's one of those things kind of like uh, cilantro, you know, some people chemically, they're just not, they, you know, it tastes like soap to some people. So I'm thinking there's something on my taste buds that just don't like Rocky mountain oysters. Although I just, I keep trying. <laughs> I'm with you. I heard that. Yeah. Mm. So the industry you started at age 19 as a server at a Chili's in Bedford, Texas. I'm always, always fascinated with just what our first entree point into the industry was. Was yeah. it instantaneous for you? Was it, this is fucking <laughs> awful. What, well, what are people doing here? What was yeah. that for you that at 19? So, yeah. So there's a funny story behind that. Um, Tell us a funny story. We like funny yeah, stories. So, you know, I knew that since I was a little girl, I wanted to be a chef. And I just, I badgered my, my parents about it the whole time. And they're like, no, you're going to college, you're going to college. You know, this is the seventies. So they're like, you're college, college, college. And, you know, I started college and had no clue of what I wanted. I changed my major. I don't know how many times. And meanwhile, I was catering um, for um, events and stuff like that with my sorority. And 
one of the sisters had another sister um, that wanted to open up a restaurant in this beautiful old building that was in downtown uh, Monroe. And I was like, she asked me to, to be the chef and I was like, I'm going to do it. This is my chance. I'm going to do it. So I called my mama and uh, my daddy had moved his business to Dallas um, my senior year, the end of my senior year in high school. So he was over in Dallas. But anyway, I called her and I told her, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. And she was like, Elise, you don't know anything. You've never worked in a professional restaurant. You know, you don't, you didn't go to culinary school. Like if you're really going to do this, you got to go to culinary school. And so pack up all your stuff, sell your furniture, move over here. I'm going to do some research for you. You're either going to go to New Orleans or, you know, CIA in New York and, but just come on over here. So literally I did. I mean, I packed up a couple of days later. I was over there. As soon as I get in, get, I get in, they sit me down and they tell me, you are not going to be a chef. You are going to go to college. You're going to register here. You're going to finish school. And then after all that's done, if you want to go to culinary school, you can go and you can pay for it. So I was stuck. I sold everything that I had. I had no way of like, and no money, no job. And so I was stuck there. And, um, and the first thing I did was like, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to get a job, then I have zero experience. And so Chili's um, was a place that was, will hire literally, you know, anybody. <laughs> so um, I got my foot in the door that way. And, um, you know, it was really, really a blessing in disguise because I learned everything from serving all the way up to bartending and managing, you know, and so, you know, I learned that very important aspect of the front of the house that I think that a lot of chefs are missing. Um, but anyway, um, so that was my, my, my first gig. I kind of got stuck in it, but I learned a lot, you know, they, they actually, those, those you know, um, corporate restaurants really teach you organization, um, and, and speed. Um, and so I learned a lot about that. Um, plus the experience. I, I think Go it's ahead. interesting what you say. There's a couple, a couple things that, that pop in my head. One, I could not agree more with the front of house experience. Every time I had the opportunity mm -hmm. to work front of house bartending, hell, I was the GM at tag restaurant six months after we opened for like two months to get that like whooped into shape yeah. and wow did it make me better in the kitchen just having that perspective yeah and and second is it's easy for us to look down on a Chili's and being a server at Chili's things like mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. and I talk about it a, a lot where we all have to start somewhere and if if we put on a pedestal what we're doing now versus what got us to this point we oh, forget yeah. that like it's, it's about the journey. And sometimes the corporate restaurant, the starting from humble beginnings, whatever that might be, remembering the days that I was a dishwasher that mm -hmm. keeps us grounded. So I think I love everything that you're talking about with that. So it's a simple mm -hmm. thing as being stuck at 19 as a server in Chili's being a profound moment and memory that has catapulted you, I think is important and more people need to think of it in that context. So then Absolutely. from Bedford, Texas at a Chili's, uh, your career has been nothing short of meteoric. You, I mean, have won all the awards, traveled all over the world, stops at the Grotto, Palio in Puerto Rico, Panzano in Denver, Colorado, which really, really puts you on the map. Mm -hmm. You have a PBS show called Roots to Ranches coming up. All of these accolades, mm -hmm. all of this experience, all this travel, and for you, your proudest moment to this point is opening Catavella 
with no investors, something simple like that. What does that you know, yeah. mean to you? Well, I mean, you know, at almost the age of 50, um, you know, so many, so many chefs open up restaurants when they're in their, you know, 20s and, you know, the youth and the vigor and all that kind of good stuff. And I, I, I really feel like, you know, um, waiting was a good move for me because, you know, I don't know all the answers and haven't been in all the scenarios. And, um, you know, I'm glad that I learned through a lot of different experiences that I had, you know, kind of the do's and the don'ts. And, you know, I was offered many times, you know, opportunities to open up a restaurant and quote, be an owner and stuff like that. Um, but the deals that I was getting, um, I don't know if it was just me, but <laughs> the deals that I was getting was, you know, you do all the work and, you know, 79% of the profit after everybody is paid and bills are paid and things are repaired and you're not paid, 79% of that profit goes to the investor. And I get it, you know, they're putting up the capital and they're doing all that kind of stuff. They're taking the risk. I, I understand that. Um, but that just, that didn't work for me. You know, you're really, it's hard, hard work. And, um, you know, some of these young kids that are coming up out of culinary school and they just, you know, imagine that they're gonna just, you know, instantly become a chef and, and be successful and they just don't understand the inner workings of it and you know what's really needed um, and so being able to save my money and open up my restaurant and truly truly know that I have all the experience that's going to make me successful um, that 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 was just my proudest moment I mean it, it blew people away whenever I, I signed on with uh, you know, this space here in Stapleton for Cachivella. And they were like, okay, who's your investor? And I'm like, nobody, it's just me in the bank. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know you got a bank loan, but who else is your investor? And I'm like, no one. And literally the answer was, in my 30 something years, I have never seen a chef get a loan for a million and a half dollars. Just the one chef, not another partner, not another GM partner, no one else, just you, I've never seen it. Um, and so it was just a huge huge honor for me, um, huge undertaking. Um, I could lose it all, you know, if it, my house is on the line, my car's on the line, you know, I liquidated my 401k, everything that I own is literally into this restaurant. So it's do or die. Um, yeah, and yeah, at least this is something, uh, it's like, just pause on this for a second for everybody that's listening, how important what you're talking about right now is because mm -hmm. we get caught hype chasing so much. I am a victim of that success mm -hmm. in the 20s yeah. reading all the newspaper clippings thinking i was hot shit part yeah. owner and chef of two restaurants before i'm 29 and they're closed you know because it's just you don't get it you don't know and and yeah. i'm so glad that i did that and went through that sure. and got punched in the mouth absolutely mm -hmm. i just think it's really great because you're building something that yeah it's risky no doubt but you've done it with eyes wide open and I, I think that's really great. So I, I wanted to hover on that for a second so everyone listening can really know there's some significant value in that. You do you for sure, but mm -hmm. knowing that having the patience, mm -hmm. thinking macro versus micro, yep. man, we could, we could use a lot more of that in industry. So I think that's really great. What a background, love that. I'm excited to do a couple things, to play a little, one of our best served on icebreakers game. And then I know we're, you're going to have some great people to talk about through your story. So we're going to play a game called Mangia Bene. We're going to dig into <laughs> Italy, right? Mangia Bene. Uh -huh, yeah. eat, eat well. Eat well. Yeah. And 
you really are focused on on northern Italy, which I think is such a beautiful region. Having traveled there, having stuffed my face there, it's it's so beautiful. I'm going to let you express it. So what we're going to do is I'm going to call out a few different uh, city-states of Italy, just throw a couple of the dishes that that region is best known for, and you tell us what dish that I maybe I've mentioned or that you just are in love with. Give us a little bit of what you're loving about those different areas of Italy to give us some insight into your passion for sure. such a specific region of the world. So yeah, you ready to play? Yeah, but I will tell you that um, Cattivella is all, all regions of Italy because I've been all over. But we can focus on northern Italy. I've spent a lot of time up there too. So we're good yep. to go. Pull the trigger. Yep. I, I saw in your bio that you, you kind of summered in northern Italy. I saw on Cattivella's mm-hmm. menu definitely kind of all across the board. Mm-hmm. I just am such a geek and love the research. So I'm like, let's look sure. at Let's look at Northern Italy because I just yeah. am, am fascinated with it. And you got, yeah. you piqued my interest. So we're going to start in a, a little area called Piedmonte. Uh-huh. And it is known for Enilote, kind of mm-hmm. special square ravioli, Bagnacotta, Vitello yeah. Tonato. Yeah. I know a couple important dishes to you hail from that area. So talk to us about, uh, about Piedmont. Yeah. So, you know, Piedmonte is, it's Barolo, it's Barbaresco, and, you know, people don't understand how actually close they are to the coast, and, you know, you know, Nebbiolo is the, the famous grape of that region, and it literally means fog, and so all of those, you know, ocean waters come over and roll over the hillside, and so, you know, um, hazelnuts, you know, walnuts, truffles, white truffles, you know, from that region, you know, a famous dish um, that people, you know, think about when they think of Piedmonte and, and the truffles is the tallarine pasta, which is just pure egg yolk and zero, zero flour. And it's so rich. Um, and it looks kind of like a skinny little tagliatelle. Um, and they simply serve it with just sweet butter and shaved white truffles. And let me tell you, they let that stuff snow all over it. Um, just so simple and so delicious. And, um, and you were talking about the agnolotti. It's like, you know, again, roasted meats all inside. Um, you know, the, the Italians, they don't waste anything. And a lot of their cuisine is reflective of that. You know, it's regional. What is, what is abundant in that region? And that's what we're going to use. And, um, and so, you know, the, the local pork that's around there and the veal, you know, the, the cattle that is raised in that area because it's so lush. There's so many you know, grasses for them to graze on. And that's why when you said the vitello, which is veal, is just so delicious. I mean, and almost everything, it's the perfect time of year to be talking about this region because, you know, it is truffle season. It's in its peak right now. Um, And they just shave everything on there, including, I mean, truffles on everything, including the vitello. I mean, just everything is really rich in that region. You know, big wines, you know, call for you know, outstanding flavors and those dishes that you describe are just indicative of that region. I mean, it's when people, when people ask me, well, I'm going to Italy, where should I go? I ask them what time of year they're going. And if they're telling me the fall time and uh, into winter, I tell them Piemonte. They really, really should go to Piemonte. This is the exact right game to have picked for you. I'm so glad that was (laughs) what a journey. I'm so fucking hungry right now. And so into Italy, like I'm literally 
booking a flight right now. Like that's, that's exactly what this is about is you being able to express your passion and for us to geek out a a little bit on, on something like that and, and how you're getting into the why I talk so much about why and who over what and how. And I think Mm -hmm. just the expression of that culture is, is so rich and clearly has resonated with you. So I love that Piedmonte. I mean, we could just stop there. Done. Like, game over we're gonna talk about maybe squeezing a couple more regions so uh liguria which is known for pesto focaccia that genoa cake oh man yeah what a what a great region there and again one that i know that you know a lot about and have some some strong ties to so talk to us about a dish that stands out for you there well you know liguria you have to think about the history it's a port city and so you know, so much trade was going in and out of Liguria from North Africa, from, from the Middle East. And so, you know, one thing I think of is that, you know, the stuffed pasta was one of the traditional dishes. The ravioli was invented in this area. And, and actually, it was the North Africans that taught the Italian sailors how to stuff a pasta. And so they learned that when they're on their ship and they're sailing, it's just a good thing to do is to have a a, a batch of pasta they can quickly whip up. And any leftover meats that they've cooked, they would stuff inside it. And so it just create a whole nother dish. And you're right, you know, basil pesto is born and famous of that region. And it's because, again, on that hillside, all of the ocean airs, would influence the flavor of the basil and the basil de Genoa, there is no other flavor like it. It has the most intense basil flavor and that's why they love it so much. Um, So Ligoria is near and dear to my heart. And then also when I'm talking about fishermen, like, you know, the burrita, um, a lot of people only think of Chiapino because of, you know, it was big in the seventies and the eighties. And so when they think of seafood stew, they only think of Chiapino. Um, But that's, that's one dish, one fisherman's dish from a different region further south. Um, but each region of Italy on the coast has a different name for their fisherman's stew. And burrita is one that is influenced because it's closer to France. Um, the French, it's right around the corner from, you know, uh, France. And so they have, you know, a tremendous influence on each other in their cuisines. Um, and so the, the use of that and then the thread back into Italian is the saffron that is actually used in this dish um, and the red peppers that actually grow um, on the mountainside as well. So You're taking again, us to it, school right now. Yeah. It's indicative of that whole, whole region because again, you know, the Italians use what's around them, you know, and if they're by directly right on a coast, they're going to use what is the best flavor in the season, you know? So I love it. Let's squeeze one yeah. more uh area in because i'm i'm vibing on this i'm loving this lombardi really iconic dishes i mean polenta risotto you know also buco like these are these are classic timeless dishes talk to us a little bit about lombardi well and then here's another thing that's really interesting is that there's so many because of the hilly area and it's going into the alps but it's at the base of it not quite in there all of italy is all mountainous and hilly but What's beautiful about Lombardy is all of the cattle that is raised there. And, you know, and we're talking dairy cattle is the focus because it is a huge region for cheese. 
And one thing that people don't even think about is like, you know, Gorgonzola comes from there and Marscapone comes from there. But, you know, here's the interesting thing is that the cattle, you know, they truly move their cattle. They're not in lots like we have them here. Um, and then they're just milked. They drive their cattle up onto the hillside and they eat these, you know, tender young greens throughout the spring. And then as they're driving them back down in the cow's udders, the cream, the heavy, heavy part of the cream, the most concentrated part of the cream settles down into the very end closest to the udders. And so after these cattle have been eating all these amazing flowers and, and these green grasses and these tender greens, they do a first milking. And from that milking, because the flavor is so sweet and so concentrated, that is what becomes mascarpone, the traditional cheese that we think of when you think of tiramisu. And then what's another interesting spin on this is that mascarpone, if you take it and you inoculate it um, and put those, um, the gorgonzola, um, oh my God, <laughs> thinking about um, uh, the, the blue bacteria that you inoculate it with, you sink kind that down in there. Kind of like, yeah, but you sink <laughs> that down in there, the mold, thank you. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The actually gorgonzola, you inoculate that mascarpone with the mold, it turns into gorgonzola after ages. So literally, mascarpone is the first milk um, from the cow. Then you add an inoculation with that, that turns into gorgonzola. And that's why gorgonzola is so creamy, but it has that blue cheesy subtle bite to it it's absolutely delicious and uh, those are the king cheeses of that region Glees are blowing our minds right now we are all going on tour with you to italy uh <laughs> I, I just want a, a book on tape of traveling through italy and have you voice over it that was that was amazing thank you for uh, that that yeah. passionate insight into yeah. italy you f you fit right in there the passion i can just imagine you speaking with your hands like an Italian. <laughs> I was I love actually. <laughs> I love it. I can I yeah. can hear it. I can hear well, the passion. That's yeah. really great. So let's let's get into some of your people. Let's get into the who of of your story. And I'd love to start all the way back at the beginning. We touched on your family a little bit, but let's let's call out the person for you that really sparked this journey that you're on. Um I honestly I would have to say it, it was a um, a combination of my mother and my father, you know, the, the Italian bug came from her because she spent her summers in Italy. And, you know, one of my first memories of being graduated from the kid table to the adult table was her turning off the lights and lighting candles. And she created Carbonara. And then she told me the history of Carbonara and then laid down the photos of her in, you know, Lake Garda and Como and, you know, in, St. Mark's Square and um, Venice and, you know, told me the, the story of her, you know, summers there and I just fell in love with it. And so my love um, for Italy and desire to do Italian cuisine started with her. And, you know, um, I was always in the kitchen. So it was either her in the kitchen or my daddy. And so he would cook Southern all the time and she would just cook, you know, all these other exotic meals from around the world because she's lived around the world. Um, and so I was just in rapture the whole entire time. So those two really, um, had the start for me, um, as far as the influence and of course, watching Julia Childs. <laughs> oh yeah. Gotta get the shout out to Julia Childs. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm fascinated by how that spark just turns into a fire. 
you got that from your parents. I'd love to hear how now you clearly are passing on that level of passion, that level of, of connectivity that they sparked in you. Your mom sitting down there and really illustrating for you mm-hmm. why it was so important to her. And I know as a chef, I know I haven't seen you in action and, and spoken with you. And now the, it's just, it's palpable, that energy. How are you able to take that from what you were given by your parents and bring that to the people that you work with and that you are impacting through your cooking, through your restaurant? Yeah. So, I mean, I have to, I have to credit, you know, first is that, you know, the people that have the desire to learn, that's so important. You know, um, that's step one, you know, they truly show, uh, you know, being humble and, and a sponge and willing to learn then I teach them everything that I can and I include them on everything and, um, that I'm doing. And I explain the whys, you know, and, uh, you know, one thing I was kind of frustrated when I was in culinary school is that I would get, you know, a, an instructor and they would just do, read this chapter and do this, you know, and I'm like, but, but, but why, you know, like explain to me why, what's this reaction? You know, I'm very much into the chemistry of food and, you know, explain this reaction, um, this cause and effect. And I never got that, like, no, and I, I guess never is too strong, but I mean, I, I got it sometimes, but not as much as I would have liked. And you had um, to dig for it. It wasn't, I, it wasn't yeah. given to you. No. And I, and I do believe that sometimes, you know, doing research on your own really, you know, you kind of self-teach yourself, you know, and, um, but, you know, with my team, you know, I really break down the why, you know, and I tell them literally, I have a saying, I'm like, you're a three-year-old. I want you to ask me why. There's something I want you to constantly think. I'm smashing this garlic. So if I'm smashing it, why am I smashing it and not chopping it? Why am I not cutting it into slivers? Like, why am I doing this? You know, and so really, you know, digging down into the whys and then letting them absorb that. And then, you know, plus with my sous chef, I physically make sure that I take them there. Like I send my chefs and my managers to Italy because, you know... I had to do it on my own. I wanted to, I couldn't get anybody to connect me so I could get over to Europe. But I, I strongly believe that if, you know, they're going to speak, uh, you know, about Italian, they're going to know about Italian. They have to be there. They have to cook with chefs. They have to understand it. And so it goes beyond just my teaching. You know, it's, it's physical experience and, and plus it just, it, it jazzes them. You know, they, they want to learn more, you know, they get excited and then they, they understand where I'm coming from. Um, and it just, yeah, you're giving them a sense of place, I think, which is really important. Yeah. And I yeah. love, I love hearing this because for me, I'm always trying to connect the dots back or trying to connect the dots forward. I'm always thinking way into the past or way into the future. And I think it's so interesting because I know I can just imagine that your mother, you growing up, you were always why, 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 why I was the yeah. same way. annoying the hell out of her just one more burning question mom yeah and so when she sat you down showed you those pictures she was giving you the why because she knew you were going to ask her 100 questions anyway so she was laying down the why and you're finding a way in your way of of always connecting people to the why and that that's exactly the thing that uh those wanting to get to and seeing in that is that, that why, that drive to why is so important. And the fact yeah. that you're laying it down, I mm-hmm. so appreciate that. And I think clearly everyone working with you appreciates that as well. So mom and dad, 
laid that foundation. Family's been cooking forever. Mm-hmm. Finding the the sweet spot between the Southern influence, the Italian influence as well. You're going to culinary school. Some of that. Talk to us now. Some of those formative years. You know who who's somebody else that really maybe taught you to be a chef or took an interest in you early on and, and mentored you. Sure. Well, you know, back when I was still, you know, when I was going to college and finishing school in, uh, in Texas, um, I quickly moved on from Chili's to a restaurant called the Grotto and it was a, you know, four diamond Italian restaurant. And these two chefs were both on the culinary Olympic team and were the first gold medalist for the Americans to ever win. So I knew I really wanted to work with these dudes. And, you know, one was Italian and, and um, the other one is actually German, um, you know, German-American, but German. So old school trained type of thing. And, you know, the Italian was a yeller and a screamer, um, you know, get the fuck out of my kitchen kind of thing. You know, like I, I managed during the day and then moonlighted at night to do hard knocks. And, um, you know, one thing about me is that I'm tenacious and, you know, it, it really would take a lot to get me to, to, to quit. Um, and so this guy, you know, he taught me the Italian, he taught me what not to do, you know, what, what not to do to inspire people to do things. And luckily um, the German Carl, he was so kind and he was a nurturer and he was a teacher and, you know, I really grew with him. Um, and, you know, I'm not afraid of, you know, somebody telling me I messed up or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, he had an approach of, of, of really teaching um, that really resonated with me and I grew a lot. And then, you know, I did hard docs first um, and then, you know, moved up here to Colorado and went to culinary school. And so, um, you know, when I was in culinary school, you know, there was a, a chef, um, his name is Chef Barr, and um, he really taught me a lot um, about separating myself, you know, emotionally, because a lot of people don't think about, you know, you're going to be a chef, and it's hard work, and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, stuff happens, you know, in your personal life, and, and um, you know, I was going through a, a, a breakup, and, you know, he pulled me outside, and he could tell that I was affected, you know, physically over it. And he pulled me outside and he's like, you know, you have a lot of talent, but you need to learn to separate yourself from your emotions. You need to learn to leave it at home. You need to learn that, you know, you have to take care of your work and it will always take care of you. It will pay your bills. You know, it gives you a sense of stability, you know, but you're going to have to learn to separate yourself in order to be successful at this business. And um, that really resonated with me. And, and another thing that he had taught me as well is, you know, aside from, you know, the mechanics and stuff like that of, of cooking, but he taught me, you know, we'd have these timed, you know, um, tests that we'd had to cook something at a certain amount of time and he was going to come back in and everything had to be perfect, hot, perfect, looking good. And I used to go crazy because he would not come back in at the time he said he was going to come back in, you know, he was either early or he was late. But what I didn't realize is that he was doing that on purpose because in the real world, you know, when you're cooking, it's not always at the same time, you know? And so he taught me a a tremendous um, 
lesson on that, you know, that you have to learn to be able to, you know, execute things on the fly and get more efficient and, um, you know, be more thoughtful about, you know, how are you going to execute it and how are you going to keep it, you know, perfect and hot and all that kind of good stuff. So he was a, a really good influence on me. Um, yeah. I think that adaptability school. is something important and yeah, love some of those words, thoughtful, the execution of it, the efficiency mm-hmm. of it. I'm mm-hmm. really fascinated with the separating yourself emotionally. Yeah. How, how do you do that? That is so unbelievably difficult because you're so emotionally charged in those moments. So much yeah. of your food is a reflection of you. It's like, if somebody doesn't like your food, it's like calling your kid ugly. How yeah. do you separate yeah. yourself? What practically, what are you doing? You know, do you have exercises, mantras, like just an innate you, ability to do so? What is that? You know, what I would do is, you know, of course it took practice. It didn't happen immediately, but what I would do is I would throw myself you know, into work. I go into work early and I would tell myself, okay, I'm going to, you know, work on this new spring dish or I'm going to, you know, uh, make the line more efficient. I'm going to, you know, clean and detail the walk-in so it feels better. And, you know, anything, because there's always something, always something to do to make, you know, your environment better. And it's kind of like cleaning house, you know, when I get my mind busy and I'm doing something that's productive, then I feel better um, and, you know, I have a clear vision and, and it's rewarding to me. And so I've learned it's just, it's my salve, you know, and some of, sometimes I do some of my best work is, you know, if I'm having, you know, a, a traumatic thing kind of, you know, personally or emotionally going on in my life, you know, I, I just throw myself in it. And, and it, it is to this day, the advice that I give, you know, other, you know, employees and I have for a long time because it's worked with me, worked for me so well, you know? Yeah. I think, uh, talk about uh, out there, the world's out to get you in here. We're all on the same team and in here, no matter what's going on, you have the opportunity to be perfect and there's no Mm -hmm. such thing as perfect, but together Mm -hmm. we can be striving for that perfection together. And I think that's something important that, that, this is your oasis away from that shit, whatever that is. And you may be in the shit the entire time while you're at work, but there's Mm -hmm. some freedom in the fact that that's, that's your shit. This is ours as a team. So I really, really love hearing that. Now you got some, some good cop, bad cop uh, early on. I think that's an interesting dynamic. Mm -hmm. Chef bar challenging preconceived notions uh, I love the the fact of playing with timing. I'm always very fascinated with time in mm. general. And I think it's so, so important in a kitchen. Now, I definitely want to fast forward a little bit because Panzano's like, what an iconic restaurant that is. Mm-hmm. What iconic powerhouse women from Jen Zinsky <laughs> yeah. and Beth Gruich. Like, my God, yeah. how, how, uh. how powerful that duo is and and they, you know, made their bones at Penzano's and then went on to crafted concepts that's doing amazing things. Uh, I know that's big shoes to fill for you go, going in there and you were there for a dozen years. That is yeah. a lifetime in yeah. a restaurant when the norm in a restaurant is what, 18 months. Yeah. So talk to us about that time. Get, talk to me, baby, about yeah. an individual that really, really crystallized that moment for you. And then please name drop every single person that you worked with that had an impact that you can recall because so many people 
at Panzano's during your time deserve a lot of attention? Gosh, um, you know, as far as name dropping, um, you're talking about at Panzano's? Yeah, just I'm always fascinated with the people in the trenches. Like those are the ones that make it. You may have gotten the accolades, but you know, and we all know that man, oh, it I takes see. a dozen other people. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes. I don't, I don't want to know the celebrities that showed up at your restaurant. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. Not name dropping that way. Yeah, Call out no. as many people as possible oh. for, for being a part of that journey for you. And then let's deep dive into one person and what they really sure. represented for you. But I always yeah. just love just hearing about all the people that were there. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the core team, um, obviously, you know, I have people, even to this day, um, one gentleman has worked with me now 15 years. He left Panzano's and he was with me the whole length of time. I hired him soon after I started. And um, uh, Heriberto Sosa is his name and he works with me today and he's a sous chef here. And um, he, you know, he was a demon that could work pizza station all by himself. You know, here we have to have two people <laughs> and this guy would just do it all by himself. So he was just amazing. So yeah, 15 years with me now, um, 12 years at Panzano's and three years here now going on at Cattivella. And then, you know, um, another sous chef that I had that was with me for seven years, I definitely have longevity in my team. Uh, was Federico Fasola. Um, you know, he came on with me as, as a line cook and worked his way up. And um, he was a tremendous asset. And then, of course, Zuri Resendez, um, he too, we are going on whew, um, eight, nine years now. Um, and he started as a line cook with me at Panzano's and then worked his way up to a sous chef. And now he's my Executive Sue here at uh, at Cativella. Um Couldn't so let's do. Let's pause on, these guys. on Zuri because I, I know we're going to talk about him a little bit more. I'm very interested in the longevity that you mentioned mm -hmm. because anybody who's in a restaurant that long and has a team that long, you're basically a fucking unicorn. That is just unheard of <laughs> yeah. in the industry. Yeah. I mean, what is that? Like, put put some framing around how the hell you're able to keep a team like that because that is such a challenge, and clearly yeah. that sustainability pays dividends. Yeah, well, I will tell you that you know I I kissed a lot of toads, um, but my thing is that you know I'm not I'm not afraid to um, open the door and close the door um, to check you know, people out. And I, I look for that, that special, you know, again, diamond that's in the rough, you know, has a really good attitude that's open to feedback. That is so, so crucial. You know, I, I hope that I can connect to some of the young listeners that are out there that want to be in this, in this career. You know, yes, you went to culinary school. Yes, you may have worked at one of the restaurant before. Um, but there's a, there's so many ways to do things. Um, and, you know, um, even though you go to culinary school, there's, there's, yeah, you can learn the basics, but, you know, execution can always be interpreted, you know, by that particular chef and showing that you can, you know, be open and, and listen and learn um, is, is super important. So that's like the key factor for me. But the other part is that, you know, I, I treat people like they're people, you know, I don't yell, I don't scream. I do have conversations, you know, and I feel like 
you know, a lot of young chefs that I see and actually sometimes older chefs that I see, it's still the screaming and the yelling and the degrading and that doesn't inspire anybody. However, you know, be clear that I'm not afraid to have conversations. So if you're, if you're not, you know, dicing that carrot, you know, how I want you to, I'm going to re-explain to you and I'm going to explain why, and that's so important. And if you don't do it beyond that, then I learned early the power of the piece of paper. You know, I think a lot of chefs and managers, even they feel like, oh, I don't want to write them up because that really, really means like they're going to get fired and they're going to be mad at me and they're going to hate me. And so I'm just going to yell at you instead because, you know, that's really not as bad as writing somebody up. And for some reason, you know, I find that young managers are afraid of writing people up. And man, I feel like it's so powerful. And the thing is, like, when I do that and I sit down with someone and I explain to them, you know, that they keep repeating, you know, these things, um, you know, I tell them, I love you you know, you're awesome. And, you know, outside of this, we can go have drinks and whatever. But, you know, here's what's going to happen if you don't, you know, continue to follow directions. And it's very clear to them. And, you know, I've had to, you know, unfortunately, let people go. But I, for the most part, I would say 90% of the people I've had to let go. I'm still friends with them to the to this day. They'll come see me, you know, we have a good relationship. Um, but they know that, you know, when that happens, it means business. And so, you know, that once you do it to one or two people, you know, it, it quickly spreads. <laughs> and, and then you just establish this kind of respect and understanding, you know, that, you know, she, she does mean business and, you know, this is the directive and, and you have to follow it. Um, and so honestly, that's the only reason why, but I will tell you, I have gone through thousands of people. So don't think that, oh, I just miraculously got these people that stay with me forever. You know, I had to kiss a lot of toads. Yeah, we just love getting those little nuggets because I think if we can highlight the things that work, highlight the good, and mm-hmm. and respect and understand the challenges because they're they're on the daily, minute by minute, second by oh, second. Yeah. I just oh, yeah. what you're talking about there with the the clear expectations. I love all caps. Love exactly that. It really speaks to like one of my thesis, which is the three C's of clarity, communication, consistency. And if you get the three right, you get the fourth, which is continuity. And that's when everything yep. like jives. And so I think you're, you're speaking truth right now because that level of clarity, the communication is very clear how you accomplish that and that you're consistent. And I think that's, that's really the key to it. So I love, mm-hmm. love hearing that. Now I want to circle back to Zuri because I know he, for you, is really one of those unsung hospitalities. And you mentioned Eriberto, mentioned Federico, those are the type of people that really just make up the fabric of our industry. And I think the more time we spend celebrating them, the better off we'll all be because it's really the who that, that is so important. And so talk to us a little bit more about just what it is like that makes him specifically so special to give us a glimpse into the other people that we have surrounded ourselves by that are, that are our Zuri's. Yeah. He, he literally, like I said, he came on and, you know, was really green, you know, young cook. I think he worked at a, um, a Mexican restaurant, you know, before coming on to me. So no, no culinary background, not as if, you know, that is a make or break. Cause it's not important to me. As long as you're willing to learn, you don't have to come from culinary school for me. You know, sometimes I don't know. I kind of feel like it's better if they don't because they, they get these notions. But anyway, um, 
he was such a sponge and he stayed so positive. Um, and no matter how many times he would just get beat up on the line and I'd have to reject dishes from him and, you know, he'd have to do it over again and it's in the thick of it. And, you know, the pressure is on and plus you're surrounded by other men. I mean, I'd have women work on the line too, but you know, you know, for men, there's like this macho pressure of these guys that have already got experience and they talk shit to each other. And, you know, it's just typical, but he didn't listen to that noise. You know, he, he closed all that noise out. And, you know, not only did he, you know, listen to me and follow and support me, um, but then he also took the initiative out on his own. He ended up going to culinary school on the side while he's working for me and got the culinary degree. And then also he has this fascination um, of molecular cooking. And so he started studying that and I gave him all of my books that he could, you know, play around with and, and, you know, self-taught um, all of these kind of fun and cool things to, to do. And he's always driving himself, you know, always, always driving himself. And, you know, I, I do find that, you know, you can find, some really talented chefs that will, will come through and, um, you know, they kind of, they want to learn what you're teaching them, but sometimes you just don't see any personal separation drive where it's like, okay, you could learn from me, but why don't you go to Italy? Why don't you work with these chefs and, and take it that kind of step um, to separate yourself? And Italy, I mean, I'm sorry, and Zuri is that person, you know, he is always striving and thinking, how can I make this better? Um, well, you know, we're going to taste this now. And so I think we can evolve this and, and make it even more efficient execution. So he is truly like my, my, <laughs> he is my unicorn. You know, he is, he is so very rare, you know, um, that, you know, he's, I, I just, I'm going to have to just try really hard to keep him around, you know, because, you know, he's just so incredibly talented, you know, at some point, you know, someone's gonna snatch him. And so, you know, sharing a lot of the stuff that I do, you know, with the cooking show that I have, you know, I took him with me. And, you know, he's in um, a couple of the episodes where I'm still teaching him again, you know, um, one was on hunting, and he'd never hunted before. And so, you know, I, I continue to share these experiences with him, you know, to help groom him and grow him. You know, and, and my hope one day is that, you know, because I don't have children, my hope one day is that he buys me out and he owns all of the stuff that I create, you know, and because um, he's like a son to me, truly. Um, oh, yeah, you're talking about important stuff here. It's like this level of relationship building and yeah. investment in time mm -hmm. and effort and care for people is God, it's what hospitality is, is rooted in. And every time yes. we, every time we, own that and cultivate that we win and every time we forget about mm -hmm. that take for granted we lose it's just yeah it's binary in that fact and so i love to hear that you're doing that uh, you touched on something that I'm, i think is really important too is that his talent at some point is going to go beyond the four walls of mm -hmm. catabella potentially and, and to find those ways to keep them motivated and interested and excited and not looking for the greener pastures while still pushing them to flourish Hello? i think sometimes we try to keep people in a box and mm -hmm. versus letting them really shine so what is that for you that you say look i'm going to give everything to you even if that means you leave me 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I am definitely not one of those chefs that sit on people and, you know, I don't want you to go anywhere. So I'm not going to quite show you everything that I know. I'm not like that. I feel like, you know, um, it's not fair to you and, you know, or anybody else. And so I get really proud when someone, you know, flies off and does their own thing, you know, and um, for Zuri, you know, I really, because like I said, he's, he is like a son to me. Um, I want to help him kind of cut to the front. Um, you know, I, like I said, I'm 50 now and, um, you know, it took me many, many years of, of learning and, you know, knocking my head and, and learning all these valuable lessons. And, and I want to help him bump to the front. Um, he, you know, like I said, he, he came from, you know, Mexico city, didn't have, you know, a lot of money. Um, he's worked hard for everything that he has to this day present and he deserves this. And like I said, I don't, I don't have children and he's like, a, he's like, you know, my son. And so, you know, the reason why I, I really want to keep him engaged and, and around is because I really would like to give him that shortcut that is unheard of in this business. Um, where he could actually take over the reins and, you know, he knows so much um, from me that it would just be a seamless kind of transition where he could just run it and own it. Um, and so, but if he decides to, if he decides to leave, then, you know, I will, I will do anything and everything to ensure his success, um, no matter what he does. That's so. really great. I could tell you really, you really live that versus just being something yeah. that you, you, you not just aspiring to that is clearly fundamental in the way that you're approaching a relationship and whatever happens mm -hmm. next in that relationship. If he stays, he's going to have an amazing foundation of a restaurant and a brand and a, and a culture within what you guys are doing that you've laid down. And if he leaves, I know you may have not had an investor, but I can think of one investor that, that Zuri will have if he does go and open his own place. Absolutely. And, uh, and that's really, really great to hear. Truly appreciate talking to you. Unbelievable to hear about your story and especially the people that have an impact on you. I want to leave us all with a quote that you gave me to take it out into the world, you know, make it a better place. And you say, the devil is in the details. What's that sure. mean? It means like no detail is too small to overlook. I mean, you know, if you're, in your relationships or, you know, in the food, if you're looking at your, your food and you're building it from the stock all the way up, everything counts. Everything counts. You can't shortcut it. Like it's, it's how you prepare it. It's how you're cutting those carrots. It's how you're cutting those onions. It's the extent of roasting the bones. Every little detail counts towards that perfection that we all are striving for. And that applies to everything in life, everything that you do, your relationships, everything. Couldn't agree more. Keep giving us more and more of that why, why, why. Elise Wiggins, thank you for talking. Jensen, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Elise has really taken us to school, just really inspired us with the cooking of Italy, with her southern roots, with what it's meant to her to be a chef for so many years, then finally getting to open up her own restaurant, Catavella. And what it means to have a team, such a strong team that has been with her for so long. And I'm very excited to have Suri Rosendis on the line 
who is one of her chefs, been with her for quite a long time. She has great things to say. So Zuri, thanks for, uh, for talking with us. No, thank you for the invitation. I'm, I'm super excited about being here and super excited about all the questions I'm gonna answer. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really great to have Elise and everybody else who's, who's on the podcast really get to shout out some of their unsung hospitality heroes. I think the more we talk about people at every level of the industry, from dishwashers up to owners, I think is really important. So starting out, tell us just a little bit about yourself, kind of where were you born and, and maybe what was your first job in the industry that got you into cooking? Yeah, of course. Well, I'm I'm Mexican. I'm from the uh, I'm from Mexico City or Mexico de Efe. I moved here to Denver when I was 15, and to be honest, one of my first jobs it was a uh, in a cafeteria. So basically, I was a barista and a sandwich maker. And from there, I just fell in love with the industry. I was like, this is easy. I don't have to get dirty. I don't have to get. Uh, I don't have to be painting or construction. I think I'm gonna do this. Yeah. I love I love hearing that. And so. You, you know, are finding your way in the industry. You're here in Denver. The, what was the first job where you really in a, in a full service kitchen? Oh, it was, uh, I think it was Carabas, Carabas Italian Grill. Okay, those are iconic, iconic brands. And what brought you to finally working with Elise? And tell us exactly when that was and where that All right. was. All right, so I think working with Elise, we, uh, it was, on my 20, I was 24 years old. So basically I work in like several restaurants here in Denver, but I'm really hyper. So I'm always want to learn something new. And unfortunately on some kitchens, it's like once you learn, that's it. You know, there's no innovation, there's nothing new. And I was just like, okay, in order for me to grow up as a chef and to grow up as a cook, I need to be with some of the best in Denver. So I started Googling, you know, and. I started Googling who was the best in Denver right now and stuff. And she came out. It was Elise Wiggins. And I was like, okay, I know Italian. My, uh, I've been working in Carabas for quite a time. So I'm going to go and apply. And to be honest, it was the most expensive interview of my life because Tanzania is a downtown. I went and I was like, can I have a st- uh, can I stash with you guys? And they were like, well, you know, in order to stash with us, you have to do an interview first and they will go from there. I was like, okay, not a problem. I really want to do this. So my car was parked outside. I forgot, I was so excited that I forgot my, I didn't pay for any parking or anything. So they finally gave me the stash. I took an hour to read the menu and I stashed on the grill station. I remember walking in that kitchen for me, it was like, I was like, I'm in the big leagues. This is amazing. Open concept. People's beautiful. Everybody's wearing a chef coat. Everybody has their own chef knives. I was so excited about it. I didn't even care about the pay. I didn't even care about how much money they were going to give me. I was just so excited of being there. That is so great. I love hearing that. That just that raw emotion. I can hear in your voice how excited it is. It's just like going back there. And so you're in this, this high-end kitchen. You're kind of in the big leagues, as you said. What was it like in those early days, maybe not having the fine dining experience before, but being hungry and motivated and just a sponge? Talk to me about those early days working with Elise okay. and the team there. I want to tell you an experience, uh, like, on my first week. So Chef uh, Elise used to take care of uh, the morning shift, and after that, she used to supervise at, at, at night. But she was there probably three times at night. 
and I only was working there for three nights. So it took me to meet her at around two weeks. And finally, one time they asked me, you wanna work a shift in the morning? Uh, we're really struggling. I was like, yes, no problem, I can do that. And they're like, okay, but you will be working with Chef Elise. I was like, yeah, that's fine. I was so excited. I read the whole menu and I show up and my knife was dull. And I remember she had a tuna picada. It was a ahi tuna that you have to slice by order, pen sear it and then slice it by order. And I remember my knife was dull. And I just remember the first look, even to this day, when somebody has a dull knife, I do the same look. She looked at me and she was like, you really want to be here? Because if you really want to be here, your knife has to be on point. Your knife is your life. And if you don't have a, a sharp knife tomorrow, you cannot be part of my team. And then That's she stopped. serious, huh? Yes, and then she gave me her she gave me her knife, and I was just like, "Oh my God, I got to take care of this knife." And and from that moment, I understood that it wasn't only the passion, it wasn't only the the cooking skill, it was about everything, like tools, teamwork, passion, and I understand from that moment that I wanted to be like like her. I wanted to be a chef like her, the, somebody who pays attention and detail, but at the same time teaches you how to do that detail, detailing. Yeah, so that, that was a respect for both technique, ingredients, and your tools. And talk about just the worst possible thing to be cutting with a dull knife, just shredding apart tuna. Exactly. Uh, she, you, you understand all the concepts. Now that I'm a chef, I manage food costs and all that kind of stuff. You understand everything behind it. At the moment, it's just like, oh, it, it doesn't look that pretty, or maybe it's just not nice enough. But no, it's just, it's magic. When you have a, a sharp knife, it's magical how it happens. And it's easier for you, you know? I think that was one of my bad experiences with Chef. And I don't, I don't call it bad. I just think I learned from my big, big time. From that moment, I sharp my knives every week, every Sunday at 7 p.m. <laughs> wow, it created such a long-lasting impression on you. So I'm very fascinated. This is really good stuff that you're giving us here. Some people get that interaction with chef, similar to what you're talking about, and, and it breaks them. They just can't handle that level of, of scrutiny. But for you, you just said, I'm going to take it, I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to get better. Tell me just how you continue to do that throughout your career, because I'm sure there's plenty of other circumstances where you thought you knew what you're doing, and chef put you in your place. What's that, what's that like to, to be so driven to learn from those experiences rather than letting them be a quote of bad experiences, you said? Of course, you know, and um, I think Cheryl is a big part of it. I think the beautiful thing between me and her is to be working together for so many years. That is funny. When people see us together and talking or making food, they're like, you guys know each other, huh? We're like, yeah, you know, we're, we, we've been working together for some quite time. And she's been She's been a big part of that improvement as a chef. And, um, I, and now I have a saying, and I tell this to my team all the time. There's nobody perfect. And believe me, somebody that tells you as a chef that is perfect, that means he has never made a mistake. He doesn't even know if he's right or wrong. In order for this career to be successful, you have to do a lot of mistakes and learn from them. Pick up yourself, wash your face, and just smile again and make it better. But believe me, when you make it better, that's the satisfaction that you see and that you feel. And most importantly, the satisfaction of the guests who's eating it. 
you can that doesn't have a price you know yeah and it's I learned, priceless and timeless I, I couldn't agree with that more yeah keep going on, on this i love i love where your head's at i love the level of inspiration you've gotten from elise and and maybe some of now what you're doing to apply what you learned from her and even uh coming up with some of your own philosophies exactly so that's what that one uh that's how I, I teach my crew so when i hire somebody and they make a mistake i see the frustration on their face and i'm like why are you mad are you mad because you couldn't do it or are you mad because you couldn't deliver they're like i'm mad because i know i can do better i was like well do better but don't get mad you know because you get i always tell them it's funny like when you're mad food doesn't taste good. when you're happy food tastes amazing you know, I was like, I want sexy and pretty and happy food out of my kitchen. I always tell them that. And whenever people come see us on a chef's counter, they see that. And I always tell them, they always say, oh, chef, you, you're great and stuff. I'm like, my team, my team is there, uh, makes the magic happy. We like music back here. We have a flow. We like harmony. You know, I'm just the director of the music. But without my team, I'm nothing. And I always tell them before, like, we have like a brief five-minute shift before we start. And I always tell them, all right, we're, we're going to be busy. Make sure you're, you're okay. And most important, I think we, uh, some of the comp like big companies or some restaurants are missing is to com communicate with the cooks. Like, how are you doing today? How is your family? Are you okay? Are you happy? You have any problems? You know, always communicate with them because that has to do with the performance in the kitchen. Then I have a saying, happy employee, happy kitchen, you know? So you have the best attitude I've ever heard. I would come work for you. I think that is exactly, <laughs> exactly what is needed in this industry. I'd love for you just to talk about some of the people on your team. You know, Elise called out your exemplary work and said you like her son and, and she can't wait to see what you do next and, and all those type of things. She also called out and mentioned Ariberto and Frederico. Talk to me about some more people on your team and, and show them some love and, and what it is about maybe some of the individuals on your team that you really respect and are trying to nurture and that we could all listening to learn a little bit from. Of course, I'm gonna tell you experience that happened just yesterday. Let me talk just about uh, Eriberto first. Um, Eriberto, he's been working with Chef uh, almost 15 years now. I used to be his uh, sous chef at Panzano and he used to be the pantry cook. And he was one of the first cook that I was amazed by. I remember the first day that I got my sous chef jacket. I went with him and I just told him, I was like, listen, I know you've been here longer than, than me. I want to learn from you. The jacket doesn't mean anything because I know I can learn everything for you. I'm a sponge. I just want to absorb everything from you, okay? So I was like, I don't want you to call me sous chef. I don't want you to call me chef, but just be respectful and make sure you're here to work. And from that moment, that guy was the coolest person ever. He's like, yeah, no problem. And he teaches, he teaches me everything the Chevalis wanted to, like how he wanted his salads, the appetizers, and everything. And when we opened Catibella, it was really funny because all the cooks were like, oh, yeah, we're going to go follow you. We're going to go work for you. Sad news. We opened Catibella, and nobody came. And the only person that didn't ask to come and work with me for me, it was him. Because he's like a little, he's really short guy, but he has like a, I would call it like a lion heart. Uh, he's really proud. He's really takes pride of what he does, really organized. He doesn't, he doesn't like to 
show that he's a slow or anything like that. So when, when I offered Katibala, I didn't really see him working with me. I was like, no, he's comfortable at Panzano. He's going to stay there for another, I don't know, five, six years. And the funny thing is he came and looked for me and was like, I want to be part of your team. I want to work with you. And I was like, okay, yeah, no problem. But he's like, but I want to learn from you. I want to be, I want to be your sous chef. At that moment, I was like, whoa, you're older than me. You've been working with Chef Elise longer than I have. And you're telling me that you want to learn from me. That's amazing, dude. Yeah, let's do it. And from that's that respect. moment. That's respect, huh? <laughs> yes, exactly. So from that moment, I knew, I knew I can, I can be that, that person who teaches and pass that along. And it's been now one year and a half that I've been working with him. And I, I just see him talking about food and, and evolving. And he's, you can see his passion growing on him. And he's still not there yet, but he's putting the hours, the effort. And every time we talk about like the restaurant or food, or we never end up, like we always talking about food, projects and stuff like that. And that's amazing because you connect with that person that you spend nine to 10 hours a day. And you are not only working with them, but at the same time you're getting along on the food, on the concepts and everything that is coming. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, what I, what I hear you saying too is, is obviously it's a family, so you gotta be able to get along because not only working together, but you're spending a good chunk of your life, but also somebody that was older than you that had more experience that's worked in at least a system for longer wine to learn from you was showing respect. It also says that it's never too late to continue to learn, never to think that you know it all or that you're too good or that you can't learn from somebody else. Uh, I think is is really important. So I appreciate that point as well. Talk to me about some other people. I, I love your energy and your attitude about people. Tell us some stories about some of the other people working in your kitchen right now that you'd like to to acknowledge a little bit. Of course. So uh, we have a we, I, I like to call them characters, you know, because we are open concept. So we have regulars and people start liking my cooks and loving them. And uh, I I have these two brothers. They're really special for me because when I hired them. They didn't know anything. I just remember hiring them and be like, you want to work? They're like, yes, I really need to work. I was like, okay, show me what you know. They didn't know anything at all. Like, they just knew they had to work hard and, and speak. That's all. So I was just like, all right, man, this is a deal. I'm going to try to teach you everything that I know, but I really want you to be on, like, I want you to be reliable. I want you to be part of my team because it's really hard to find the kind of people that put their hearts on. So I hired them as my brunch cooks, both of them. And for week one, it was really, really hard to explain them things because it's the kind of people they only, uh, they only understand yes, no, but why? They always cannot ask him, but why, but why? So on the first week I was really frustrated and I told them, I was like, look, I'm trying to teach you omelets. I'm trying to teach you over easies. I'm trying to teach you everything that I know, but it seems like you don't want to learn. And they were like, no, chef, give me two more weeks. Like, real chill, both of them. Give me one more week, and, and then we'll see. And then that, that week, those guys, I don't know what they did. I don't know if they study or something, but they became like omelet machines. They, they're like killers. Their knife skills got better. Everything got good. And now to this day, I have them on my team. And, you, and they're professionals. Like people love them because they go down on, their, uh, down on their back for garnishing. They taste everything. 
even when I'm making something new, they already know. They're like, Chef, is that your dish? I'm like, yeah, why? They're like, oh, I never seen it. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's something new. I'm working on it, you know? And then they even made me think, is this my style? <laughs> you know, like, they already know my food and they're like on it. And they're like, I love them so much because one of them is like really serious, always serious, always about the job. And the other one is, his name is Fernando. He's like a, we call him big baby. He's always playing. He's always funny. Like he's, he never, like whenever he comes to the kitchen, you know, Fernando's in the house. Everybody's like, oh, Fernando's here. And we start playing around and stuff like that. But I think those are the one, two of my strongest cooks that I have in Catibella. Yeah, I just love what you're saying. I think what you're talking about is interesting dynamic where they start to anticipate you, which is such an important skill to have when you are supporting a leader is start to understand what, what they're thinking and anticipate what they're going to do before they do it, what they need before they need it. And that's building that trust and confidence, which I think is key. All right, I think we got time for one more. I'm absolutely loving. I know everybody's getting a lot out of hearing about your crew and the passion that you have for working as a team. Give us one more person and one more story about somebody that, that means a lot to you on your team at Catabella. Okay, my prep, uh, his, name is, uh, his name is Fred, Fred Mejia. He's been with us since the beginning. And the way that I hired him, it was really funny because uh, it's another older guy. And when I interviewed him, he worked on some of the restaurants that I worked when I was like younger. So we were, uh, once we uh, started talking about the interview, I was like, so you know how to make this, right? You know how to make that, right? Because if you work in those restaurants, that means that you know how to make all of those dishes. He's like, oh, yes. So I was like, okay, let's make them. And then we started making them. It was like an like a interview stash, and it became like a, like a hanging out day. We were both cooking, talking about food, and I was like, dude, you're like, I love you. Like, if we haven't even been open one week and everything that I teach you, you already know. He's like, well, you're teaching me correctly. I was like, no, man, but you're doing the most of it. Like, you're the king of my preparation right now because from this moment, all the recipes that I teach you, you're going to teach to the rest of the people that comes over to Catibella. And he was just like, no, you're crazy. But I always tell him all the, all the time, you know, like, He's the type of guy who would call me like at six in the morning and be like, hey, chef, uh, the basil is bad. Hey, chef, I don't think this is going to work. Uh, I want to make another batch. So we always communicating and we're always building that trust between each other. And I always tell them, I want people to be happy here and prepping. I don't want, I don't want machines to be prepping just because they need to prep. I want you to know what are you doing. I want you to taste it. I want you to know the story behind the dish because that's something the chef always teach me. Every dish has a story behind it, and you have to pass that along. That way, people is excited about making it. And uh, I think, yeah, and I think um, Fred has that magic of making things happen. And I love him today. I think without my preps, without my cooks, to be honest, I'll be half of the chef that I am. Zuri, your passion and dedication to your team is clear. It's obviously why Elise is so fortunate to have you on our team. Thank you for the support that you give to the industry because people at every level matter from owners, to dishwashers, to busters, to servers, to line cooks, prep cooks, the Freds, and 
and Frederico's and Eriberto's, they all really, really matter. And I think that is clearly on display with the way that you work. So good on you and continue to support the industry. Thank you. All the time. No, thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes. Now on the thread of being cerebral and thoughtful, I wanted to detour real quick into something you and I discussed several times, and that is the notion of family meal. I'm fascinated with how that can affect culture, and I know it's something that's been paramount for you at Vesta Dip and Grill, and also something that's ebbed and flowed for you. So can you talk a little bit about family meal and why it has the potential to have a major impact on culture, kind of where it was when you started and how you evolved it at Vesta?